Scam Rangers, a podcast about the human side of fraud and the people who are on a mission to protect us. I'm your host, Ayelet Bigger-Levine, and I'm passionate about driving awareness and solving this problem. Welcome to episode 14 of Scam Rangers. Today's Scam Ranger got to learn about online scams through his work and realized that to make a difference, he needed to change roles. Nicolas Staub is the CEO and co-founder of Cybera, which is focused on reducing negative effects of cybercrime and online fraud. Previously, he worked as a public prosecutor in Switzerland in the field of white-collar crime and cybercrime and led numerous investigations with national and international scope. Nicolas built his agency's Cybercrime Competence Center together with the criminal police. Hi, Nicolas. Great to have you on the podcast. Thank you for coming. Thank you very much, uh, Ayelet. Great to be here. Great to be on your podcast. Thank you for having me. So before we dive into the topic of conversation, I really wanted to get to know you a little better and would love if you can tell us about your journey to fight scams, because it's really interesting. You actually started as a lawyer uh, with the law enforcement in Switzerland, and I would love for you to tell us a little bit about your interaction with scams and scam victims and your work there. And we'll talk about your journey and where you are today in a bit. Yeah, of course. So uh, my pleasure and just, uh, yeah, to give you a little bit my my story and my background. Uh, it really starts back at even university where I just found a passion for criminal law. I thought that was the most interesting subject to study. I was a bit closest to uh, you know, what I knew from the movies, maybe. Basically, that led me down the road to uh, originally a traineeship in Switzerland with the Office of the Attorney General. And I was really fascinated um, when I first started uh, in working in law enforcement with, you know, financial crimes, money laundering, big corruption cases. Um, and so that traineeship made me decide... Um, uh, I want to work in law enforcement. I want to, you know, contribute to helping fight crime. Um, and, and it led me then as the next step to start as an assistant prosecutor in Switzerland with a local law enforcement agency. And that's where I really got, you know, uh, in touch with, with scams or was more the other way around. They got in touch with me, basically started working with the police in the local law enforcement office. And pretty much every day we had scam victims who came to us, uh, who reported that they've been scammed and that they lost money. That grabbed my attention and it made me realize then that this is indeed one of the absolute biggest, you know, challenges and crimes that are happening today, affecting society, affecting law enforcement and affecting the financial sector. From there on, could talk longer, but I've, I, so, sort of pivoted and saw, hey, this is the future. This is where I want to make an impact. And that's where we need to, you know, invest resources to just become better at fighting these kind of scams. So tell me about the pivot point. And I know you were also part of a task force when you were in the in law enforcement in Switzerland. Tell us a little bit about that. Seven, eight years back, at least, um, nobody really was, was able to help or do anything for those scam victims. So... Um, uh, yeah, to be frank, you know, often these cases just became part of a, c- a caseload uh, that was hard to deal with for the prosecutor and for the police. And especially because also the cases 
often have an international dimension. Just saw that not much happened uh, to help those victims, not much happened to help asset recovery. And often even on the, on the police level, uh, there was often not much understanding for these kind of victims. And I'm not saying people laughed about these victims, but, you know, to some degree, it was sometimes not taken very seriously, even as a crime. And, you know, when I dived deeper into this and did a lot of interviews with those victims, I realized that, you know, this is not something that's just here now, but this is, you know, where where a lot of crime is going <laughs> because it's very easy to commit these crimes. Um, you can do it completely global. And the risk to be arrested is really uh, surprisingly low, right? Because of all these reasons. So yeah, all of this together, right, made me pivot quite fast when I was confronted with so many of these scam cases uh, to devote all my energy and efforts uh, into that. Uh, and in the first part of my career, I did that really with a, with a prosecutor hat on. So in law enforcement, and uh, I started several initiatives and became active in, in law enforcement, became part of uh, one of the national groups that, you know, tried to improve things. Um, and so, yeah, I was very active and passionate uh, already back then, trying to basically to improve investigations and, and catch those criminals behind it. And, and do you feel like the you, you talked about empathy to victims, right? Not people laughing, but also kind of asking how is that happening to them and you know, how do they fall for it? Do, do, you, do you see a change in that level of empathy? Do you, do you feel like law enforcement recognizes now more that it's a global crime scale that needs to be taken seriously? Um, so I think on, a, on a, like the grander scheme of things, I absolutely think so. And that's also thanks to, you know, this imaging initiative, you were doing a podcast. I think, you know, in the news, the scam topic has been much more written about. And I do think this all helps, right? Uh, but that's not to say that we live in a perfect world. So, you know, we deal today, every day, trying to help scam victims. And we still sometimes hear, you know, that they're not being taken also seriously. Um, but that's not just law enforcement, right? It's it's sometimes just the perception of, oh, how, like, how could you have been so stupid to fall for that, right? Um and for me, it's an important point that, you know, I want to mention that because um, when I had the cases coming to me as a prosecutor, um, uh, that was closely with the police, we, you know, I read what happened and then I interviewed the, the victim. Then uh, I have to say out of the many cases I dealt with, not in one single case, um, it was that simple or it was like really the victim to blame. So I want to say, I think it's really wrong to, to blame the victim here. And I think it's, uh, it, it's, there's a lot behind it, right? And uh, uh, it's really, in the most cases, organized uh, crime. Uh, it's orchestrated, right? And it's very smart how criminals target those victims, the victims, and what kind of psychological tricks they use. And, and so I think that's a key part to, to you know, drive awareness and let's say, you know, help victims come forward, help them report, take victims seriously. I think that's all very, very important pieces uh, to keep mentioning how important that is. It's probably hard to work all day long with scam victims and hear their stories and feel their their hurt, their pain. How, how does it, how did it feel for you? How was it for you to be in that place where 
on one hand, you know that the resources are limited and you know that there's not much that can be done. It's hard to seize the money. But on the other hand, you hear you have this inpour of cases and victims and stories. How did it make you feel? It's, it is crazy to see the scale, right? And I'm seeing, I mean, before, let's say, in my prosecutor role, I was already amazed by, you know, even with the local law enforcement in Switzerland, how often this kind of stuff happens. So for me, it was crazy, right, to, to learn that we cannot do much more about it. And again, first with the prosecutor hat, for me, it was somewhat frustrating to see how difficult it is to actually in simple terms, catch the criminals behind it, right? And I don't think that has gotten much easier, you know. There is some larger scale success stories, but when you look at the masses of scams happening, I would say it's still at least, you know, 95% where no real law enforcement action happens. And what do I mean by that? When, you know, we cannot investigate and find the criminals actually behind it. Um, um, but the second piece that I really learned, you know, is that it's uh, almost always about money for the criminals um, and for the victims. It's also to a big part about money that they lose. And it's also about the emotional part, of course, but it is also, you know, they're most often tricked into sending money and they, they lose money and often they lose a lot of money. Um, and so that's an angle, you know, where I saw where I was also frustrated a bit to see that, uh, that we cannot do more, that also together with the financial uh, sector um, and of course, you know, banks or also crypto exchanges who are involved, unfortunately, who are abused in a way, right, by criminals to also uh, make these payments happening and to then cash out, that there's not more we can do to help at least stop them from cashing out. That was kind of, you know, got, got me motivated to say, hey, I can probably never really catch all of the criminals, but maybe we can do more to help at least uh, stop these transactions or in some cases, you know, try our best uh, to get some money back before it's really in the hands of, of organized crime, basically. I think, I think that's a really, really strong distinction, a strong point and, and leads to an approach that I think... Uh, we talked to Erin West on episode two. I think that she's also taking that approach of we might we should try to catch the criminals, but we might not be able to because of what you said. It's international in many cases, and it's hard to to catch them. You need the, those collaborations, and you need the the agreement to get the catch the criminals and, and deliver them to the country that's prosecuting. But you can seize the money. And you can stop in many cases, not all cases, but in many cases, you can stop the money from changing hands. So it's going to be interesting to see how this evolves. On one hand, you can stop the money, but the criminals will find other ways. But maybe we can prevent the criminals from finding new ways, which is going to be interesting. So you understand you need to focus on the money. What do you do next? Um, yeah, no, exactly right. So um and to take this back to um, to a story, because for me, Cybera, the company I lead today, really originated from from what I saw and learned and tried to do first uh, on a very local level as a, as a prosecutor with the police. Um, and so, one thing we started doing is we had you know some victims, for example, of a Roman scam, who came to us, and this is a, especially the case when the transaction 
was you know happened maybe three or four days ago or a week or two ago uh, but we regularly had that and then these transactions often went abroad um you know from a from a swiss perspective where i was then maybe they went to the us or they went to germany or they went to spain um and usually you know we didn't do anything to be honest like we didn't think or help the person you know with trying at least to recover assets um, uh, because the function of law enforcement is mostly or primarily still to catch the criminal right it's not to help um, and so what you mentioned this this shift however is somewhat happening and i think very important um, but we were somewhat innovative and you know we started doing that and said and actually helped that victim or we did it then for that victim um, to inform that beneficiary bank where the money was sent immediately about what happened you know we confirmed hey this is a complaint that was filed this is a legit crime um uh, you know it's a fraud under our you know panel code uh, and we kind of urged the beneficiary bank i think we sent a letter when it was abroad we urged them you know please take action please try to freeze funds if they're still on your bank um and we also informed them right that this beneficiary bank um, uh, seems to have a bank account that is used for money laundering that is used in simple terms to cash out these victim funds and so yeah so you know we started doing that really in a few cases and had some success meaning that uh, we got a feedback from the bank and in some cases they were actually able to at least freeze a portion of these funds and that's for me the origin so we did that and i just started thinking okay i started digging deeper, researching what is happening abroad, what is the status quo? And I realized that 99% of victims don't get that support when they turn to their bank, by the way, also, or to law enforcement. And that's what initiated my original thought, you know, now three years back, thought, okay, what, what could we do something that helps every victim with this response? So to, so to clarify that you could help every victim eventually reach out to the beneficiary bank and say, could you stop the funds? In simple terms, yes. So that's what we really saw. Speed matters, really the faster you can react. And if you can react and inform that beneficiary bank um, or in crypto, it might be a crypto exchange, right? Uh, but in the bank world, beneficiary bank, in, in a legal, correct, credible way about what happened and tell them, hey, you have an issue you want to look at as a bank, then, you know, they do take action and they're also obliged to based on, on mon anti-money laundering laws. Um, and so that's my original process where I thought thinking, can we somehow try, you know, together with police, together with banks um, to automate and just improve that way of res response uh, of information sharing. So, you started Cybera to support that, really. What Did you immediately start a company or how did you go about that? Um, yeah, so, so originally I thought, you know, because it was so collaborative, I actually thought originally about doing that as a nonprofit um, because it can be easier from my experience as a nonprofit to get all relevant stakeholders on board. And the, the platform I had in mind and still have is very much about collaboration and sharing information right um, um but actually so you know i have to bring in my my twin brother claudio 
who had really a business background more and he was a bit more active in the, like the whole startup world. Then, you know, when, when we started discussing this, um, he kind of, we thought, you know, we have to, we'll have to build technology if we would ever want to be successful uh, to do this at scale and globally. And so um, I still love nonprofits, but that kind of, you know, became much more difficult with nonprofit because it's a huge task, right? We're trying to accomplish here. We started the first steps of, of putting together a deck and what that could look like. And then eventually had a, a really great supporter who backed us from the banking world, who is uh, Marcel Rohner, uh, the former uh, CEO of UBS Bank uh, and now president of the Swiss Banking Association. And so he was really one of the key people who, uh, who also believed in this early on and gave us the conviction that if we build this as a startup, as a platform, there can be a big benefit, not only for victims, for law enforcement, but also for really the, the financial sector. And so, yeah, from, from there, it kind of got started. And then eventually, I, uh, with, with that backing, I decided, okay, I want to take the chance uh, to, to basically help more victims than I could potentially as a, as a prosecutor. Yeah, and, and I think that's another really, really important, interesting point that we always hear about how law enforcement is limited with funds. It's isolated in in especially in large countries and in different states and like in the United States, the different states and around the world, every country has their own system. This type of crime requires collaboration and building a tool like that and enabling the scale of a tool like that definitely requires funding. This I don't see this as something, an initiative today with the current forces in, in action that a public sector organization can build. A, a tool like this is, is a really interesting point of how public-private sector collaborations can facilitate the growth of protections in this space, in all, I think, cybersecurity spaces, but in particular when it comes to these types of crimes that are financial crimes impacting such a large portion of the population in, and really all over the world. So I wanted to ask you, and, and maybe I'll go back to something I described in an early ep earlier episode called the scam life cycle. So what I call the scam life cycle is kind of the flow of what happens when someone is scammed. So the first step is receiving a text message or an email or a phone call saying something happened, a manipulation. It's I'm talking about these quick scams, which is a bank impersonation, a delivery scam, something that entices the user to take action. If it's a romance scam, then this process is a little earlier. So now they're manipulated. Second step is transferring the money. At the point of transaction, either financial institutions or crypto or some other form of money transferring hands, some other form of technology to support that. It could also be checks and ATM and things like that. And then the next step is when the re victim realizes that there was a scam that their money is gone and they need help. So they reach out to their bank or law enforcement and they try to get help. And then there's that whole process. And I wanted to ask you, where, where do you sit in this scam life cycle that I just described? I know there's definitely the part of, I realized I'm scammed. Now I want to get help, but you talked about collaboration, data sharing. So I wanted maybe if you can clarify a little more, what are the points that you help with across the scam life cycle? Uh, yes, with pleasure. So 
you mentioned right and just to follow on what i said earlier one of the key areas where we built uh, a solution and where we help is uh, in the in the online on the in the reporting uh, of a scam um, and in the response so in the in the reaction so basically um, helping uh, law enforcement helping banks and victims first of all to take in the information about the scam in the best possible way and as fast as possible to make that a bit more uh, specific right um, we built uh, um, a one-stop shop like online reporting platform uh, for scam victims and so we have collaborations um, with several local law enforcement agencies as an example uh, but also with banks um, also with crypto businesses um, and what they do is basically they refer the victim to our online reporting site. And so sometimes we do that, you know, with a referral. Sometimes we do that really together, um, uh, uh, together for the victim. But it's like one, uh, the best possible place for a scam victim to report. I mean, that that's my vision, right? I think we're uniquely progressing on the way to, to get there and to be that one best place person for a victim to report. Um, but that's one key gap identified that that does not exist. And it's still, you know, of course, we're, we're growing, right? But it's very confusing still for many scam victims to report. And so that that's a key to just at the beginning, right? That's already very often we lose so much time. Yeah, I think, I think that's a big problem, by the way. Centralized reporting is definitely in the U.S., not something that we have. I think other countries do have that. Um, and do have like the UK has maybe two or three places where scam victims can report and some other countries, but uh, getting to centralize clear centralized reports so victims know very well where to go, that's that's an optimal state. Exactly. Yeah, exactly right. So it's the reporting. And then as a victim, of course, uh, and for all of us, it's also very important to to see or to know or what happens after the reporting. Um, and so we, uh, you mentioned the UK, right? That, for example, they do have a centralized reporting, um, but which agent takes on your case and if and how you're getting some support with potentially recovering assets, uh, that's very unclear and very difficult um, for, for government to handle. Um, and one reason is that we mentioned, right? It's not really their core mission. Their core mission is to catch criminals. Um, but so basically that's where I, I agree so much with you that, you know, working together with private and technology companies and public sector, I think it's the only way forward I'm seeing at least right now, because technology and private companies can fill some of these gaps. Um, and so which gap are we filling? We're filling that gap of, you know, first of all, how how we address the victim they report with us um we make that the, a nice possible experience um and we also give them access to victim dashboard where they have resources uh where you know they have some awareness materials and that's all stuff that's very important right which often the a victim doesn't get um but then most important um uh, the victim does want the chance to get their funds back that is still, you know, the number one when they turn to the police or the bank. You're in a situation where you realized, oh, I've been scammed and I lost maybe a few hundred thousand, maybe five thousand. 
but you really want support at least to try and help, get some help to get those funds back. Um, and so that's where we at least you know we enable that uh, by sharing the information, filing this this report or complaint as fast as possible with this beneficiary institution so they can take action. Um, and so yeah, this this is really a. Uh, uh, and the response side, right? That we do that very much with the bank partners and with the law enforcement partners together uh, to improve that for the victim. Um, I don't want to speak too much, but I, I want to say, uh, and the, the second part is the data sharing piece, right? So um, when victims report with us, um, uh, we make it clear that um, as a victim, if you give the permission that we can use and share the information about the scammer, that that can really have a positive effect for prevention. Um, and again, it's very important that this is, you know, not the victim information, but as a victim, you have valuable information. You know, for example, where you send money. So you know, oh, there is a bank account that's, you know, criminally used. Uh, you also have email addresses that the scammers used. Uh, maybe a crypto wallet, a phone number. Uh, and so we, we, through our reporting, we can get that permission from the victim that we can use and share this information with banks, with law enforcement, with social media companies, potentially. We're not doing that yet, but there is a value. Uh, and they can use that data and that, that um, information for prevention. Hopefully, you know, circling back to where you started at the beginning, help prevent some future victims. Um, and so, yeah, so this is basically, these, we're trying to cover these two parts of that life yeah. cycle, right? Response and then using the response to share and by sharing, really helping to prevent future victims, um, which right. is the best we can do in general, right? Yeah, and I'm sure, you know, if, if financial institutions or those e-commerce or any institution that allows the money to move has this type of data in advance, then they can definitely block transactions that go out or, um, or that information definitely can be valuable part of, of the, of the chain or stopping, stopping at different points across the scam life cycle. So yeah, that's, yeah that's great. exactly. Right. And I want to say, I think it's a very much like a multi-layered approach. Um, like we're not going to save the world alone, but we have one gap that is at the moment not happening enough from what I see. It is around this data sharing element for prevention. And, you know, so scammers, criminals, I think they share data way better than we do in the crime fighting space. Um, and so, so that that's uh, one gap where we can improve. And then, of course, there's other technologies that also help. Um, but any new technology, I think, is so much needed here. Um, because, you know, look at the FBI reports uh, and the same globally. Every year it still keeps growing. And uh, as you know, it's it's in the billions, right? Every year that goes straight to organized crime. So I do think it's it's key to, to keep thinking what more can we do, what additional technologies can help. Right. I personally think there's going to be an explosion of technologies for scam detection which is great because it's so much it's really needed and as you mentioned we we talked about it in the last uh, episode as well the the fbi reports just came out and we're talking about the billions in the us but globally 
it's it's probably in the hundreds of billions. And Absolutely right. I, I, I dare I, I say yeah. trillion. Yeah. yeah. I think I read 5% uh, is only reported to the FBI. So if you already multiply that, right, and then kind of multiplied for the globe. Right. It's, it's right. really unbelievable. Because a lot of people don't report, right? And we don't know if it's 5% report or 10% report or because we don't know what we don't know. But I think you're right. The estimates are that at least less than 10% of people report. So if you just multiply the 10 billion that the FBI published by 10, we have 100 billion in the US. Maybe 70% of that is US. And then take that across the globe. It's It's... I think my point is always that we don't understand the size of the problem yet from an impact on our social economic perspective. I think these people will need help with closing the gap of the money that they lost in many cases, especially with the very large crypto scams that are happening. Absolutely. And um, yeah, I mean, that's a huge topic, right? We also, uh, it's one of the largest types that are being reported uh, through our platform as well with the partners um, uh, are crypto investment scams or investment scams in general. So that's, that's uh, I think it's not even a new thing, but it just exploded, I think, even more. So yeah, I agree with you fully, right? The amount of money that goes into the wrong hands and the effect on the victims. Um, uh, yeah, we should try to measure it be as best as we can. I hope we can contribute also to some degree to that. But uh, if we measure that impact, it's really it's really quite shocking what what uh, what effect, what negative effect it has on the whole of society. So I want to ask you two last questions. The first one is, what do you think needs to happen to drive real change? Yeah, so I I think we spoke about many of the items that I think are needed, yeah. uh, uh, right? And uh, I really, I mean, I guess unfortunately there's not the one thing that will make the real change happen. I wish it was like that, and I could say tomorrow it's going to be Fibera or it's going to be your podcast or whatever else. But um, it's it's really all these elements together. I think it's really the awareness that people write about it. That I guess even yeah, I, I really like it that you know newspapers publish stories about it. People aware awareness, I think, yeah. is a big piece. Um, but it's still somewhat limited, and I, I also believe there is studies about that you're very aware when it happened to you, right? But when it never happened to you, most people, I don't think, really paid too much attention. Uh, so the effect of only awareness, I think it is unfortunately limited. Uh, and so the other piece is, you know, is, is for me really technology. I mean, makes sense. It's the route I went. Mm -hmm. um, but I think it's key that we keep, that keeps being investment into uh, technology that's being built to really reduce that that scam problem, um, and then it has all the angles we talked about, right? Uh, the reporting, um, for me, the data sharing, but also other technologies or in combination technologies like you know AI. Now everybody talking about, of course, this kind of technology can help criminals, but it should as much, if not more, help us fight back um uh, and then and then uh, uh yeah it's really a joint effort right a joint effort to, to to get better at that and uh yeah right so one last question and, and i think your journey is really interesting uh, 
as we talk, I think about it more and more. So you started as an attorney, you, you were with law enforcement and saw these cases and you wanted to solve the problem at scale. And then you turned it into an entrepreneur. And I'm sure you saw a lot of things along the way, a lot of people and, and approaches and processes. And I wanted to ask you, given where we are and what needs to happen, what are you hopeful about so far? Many things, because I see, I see many initiatives, right? Uh, of course, the numbers, uh, again, unfortunately, just keep going up, which kind of <laughs> uh, is at least trying to destroy our hope. But if I look back, let's say, maybe eight years where I somewhat started as a prosecutor, as far as I remember, at least, the topic was not, was not out there. Let's put it that way. Now... And I hope that's not just because I got even more involved in it, but now I do realize, you know, big newspapers are writing about it. There is initiatives at the highest level. Uh, I think in the UK, it was announced that scams is, you know, a national emergency uh, or fraud. Uh, legislation is kind of taking, uh, or at least, you know, taking note. Um, one of them is, you know, discussion of, I guess, reimbursement of scams. Do banks have to reimburse uh, scam victims? So, so, so there is all this stuff happening, um, and law enforcement, right? I think um, law enforcement. It's, there's never not a willingness to help victim or to do more. Um, I really think, you know, that whoever is in law enforcement won't sees the huge problem and wants to do more. Um, but it takes some time to get the budget, talk about it, uh, make it big enough problem for law enforcement to also empower them to work together with technology companies to start using that, to start trusting, you know, new new players who come into the space. But yeah, so this in, in grand scheme of things, it's this, right? In let's say maybe somewhat small world of Cybera, um, what I've seen is today, you know, when you're a scam victim, you turn to your police, uh, or to your bank, it's really near zero. I think some studies say 0.05 chance to get any money back. Um, we've so far achieved more or less 5% positive responses when we work with partners to help with the response. Um, and so, you know, we're trying to really, so I'm positive to get that, you know, to 10, 15%. And I know it's never going to be 100%, but if we can get it from zero to 10%, that it means, you know, in the global scale, billions of dollars are being saved somewhat or don't go into the wrong hands of organized crime. So there's, yeah, there's plenty of stuff to be hopeful about. Um, and, and especially also a lot of individuals, you know, who, who, are, who are very active, including you, I think Erin West, you mentioned, and many others. And I, I do think it boils down often to individuals who just, in a way, don't give up and keep, you know, yeah, doing work and, and spreading the message and trying uh, their best to solve this, this big, big problem. Well, that's great. And uh, thank you for that. And uh, all I have to say is, is keep up the good fight. I, I really like how you took initiative and decided to take action, built a company, and you're just charging ahead. So good luck. <laughs> thank you very much. Appreciate it been a great pleasure talking to you. Great. And thank you so much for coming to the podcast and sharing your story. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you got a message and you're not sure if it's a scam or not, you can validate it on a new website called scamranger.ai. 
and also get advice on how to check the validity of the message. If you want to hear more about the recent evolution in online scams, follow me on LinkedIn, Ayeret Bigger Levine, or follow Scam Rangers, Scam Rangers. Until the next time.